Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Voice of the Colors podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. It is Monday, December 12th. We are 15 days away from the Birmingham Bowl. We are nine days away from the early signing period opening. There's a lot going on across the country. College football, it's December, it's chaotic. There aren't enough hours in the day, but we're trying our best to keep up with it. I still don't know how the coaches are doing it this time of year, but hey, we're doing our best to follow it. ECU right now practicing, getting ready for the Birmingham Bowl. We talked to Mike Houston last week. They'll practice, I believe, through Wednesday and then give the players off several days to go back home, meet with their families, basically have Christmas at home because, of course, the team will be traveling to Birmingham on December 23rd, four days before the Birmingham Bowl, which is scheduled for December 27th. And they're going to spend Christmas away from home for the second straight year last year at the Military Bowl this year. In Birmingham, so Coach Houston giving his team some time, and then really they'll they'll pick up the Coastal Carolina prep next week. Although they are working on the Chanticleers, Chanticleers, Chanticleers. Do we know the official pronunciation? Somebody help me out with that. Uh, we got time to to get it, but some big news coming out of Coastal Carolina today. A lot of speculation about whether or not Grayson McCall, their star quarterback, would play in the football game. And I have to say, this is the first time I've seen a college football player say the words, I want to finish what I've started immediately after saying he's entering the transfer portal. As those two things don't exactly add up, but hey, this is college football. This is the year 2022. I guess there's a first time for everything. As Grayson McCall says, he's entering the portal for the continuation of his college, college career to pursue other opportunities. Basically, he's voluntarily leaving the program, and yet he also says he wants to finish what he started as he, you know, obviously, look, the guy's a great quarterback. He's had a phenomenal run at um, at Coastal Carolina with Jamie Chadwell has helped turn that program around or really built that program from seemingly nothing into a, a ton of success 
over these last few years, I give him credit, great player, but just a, a weird statement to make. And I don't know what the mindset is of his teammates, of the coaches that are left there as far as letting him play in the bowl game. I mean, you're basically allowing a guy who's leaving your program voluntarily to compete with you. Uh, that's just a weird message to me that it sends. So um, I don't know, you know, envision or imagine Holt Naylor's doing that last year. If he would have announced he's entering the portal, wants to finish what he started, but is going to play in the bowl game, uh, I, I don't know how that would be received in the locker room. So it'll be interesting to see the dynamic that happens uh, on December 27th with Coastal Carolina. We've had three guys announce they will not be playing on ECU side of significant um, mention in terms of the starting center, Avery Jones, who is visiting uh, multiple schools in the transfer recruitment process for his final year of eligibility. We'll see where he ends up. He just visited Illinois, is scheduled to visit also South Carolina and another program, I believe, in the coming weeks. Uh, also looking at uh, Xavier Smith, the senior linebacker, said he would not play in the bowl game for reasons outside his control. And then, of course, Ryan Jones opting out of the bowl game to head to the NFL draft. So you're, you're down three significant contributors. Uh, Coastal Carolina also lost its starting center to the portal. I don't believe he will play in the bowl game, but who the hell knows at this point? Hell, I mean, I, I doubt Mike Houston would be the type to allow guys – that opt out or into the portal or whatever to play in the bowl game. But you never know, man. College football, it's just it's unlike anything I've ever seen right now. It gives us something to talk about, to write about. But certainly the news of McCall playing in the bowl game, I think, changes the dynamic of the game completely. I mean, you're talking about one of the best quarterbacks in college football. He's going to be highly sought after in the portal. Hell, maybe he'll just go to Liberty, get paid there um, with his old coach, Jamie Chadwell. Liberty's got plenty of money to throw around over there. But I, I don't know. I mean, it, it changes the out the outlook of this game. I think ECU is a clear favorite without McCall playing. Now that McCall is playing, I think it's a, a toss-up game. I mean, he's that good. Uh, ECU's had its struggles stopping the pass this year. I still think it's a more favorable matchup than facing a team that just drops back and throws it. But still, McCall, definitely a dual threat, definitely capable of beating ECU with his arm. So he's got all the tools. He can run a little bit. He has been banged up the second part of this year, and that has showed down the stretch with their team performance. But overall, you know, given the time to get healthy for the bowl game, I believe that uh, you'll see a, a pretty good, pretty talented McCall on December 27th. And, you know, to be honest, I think it adds something more to the game if you're facing a bunch of backups you know, as a competitor, do you really want to go out there and face a team with a bunch of opt-outs or guys not playing? For me, it adds a lot more intrigue to the game. So, hey, bring it on. We'll see uh, We'll see what happens on the 27th. And, again, as we get closer, we'll dive more into the X's and O's. And as we get closer, we'll get more of a feel for who's actually playing on both sides as we're starting to now with McCall's announcement that he's entering the portal but also going to play in the football game. Again, finishing what he started by also – not finishing what he started. Uh, so, But, hey, moving on to East Carolina things. Uh, we will see lots to unpack here in recruiting as we are, again, nine days away from December 21st, the early signing day. And it's been a tough run for this ECU recruiting class. On the defensive side of the ball, the Pirates have suffered five decommitments, and all five of those have come this fall alone. 
and basically back to late September, you've had five guys all on the defensive side of the ball essentially get poached by quote-unquote Power 5 programs. Aiden Duncanson, Ty Adams, and Michael Short all likely headed to North Carolina. Short has yet to announce this commitment, but I still think he's likely going there. Duncanson and Adams, of course, have already flipped their commitment to UNC. Tay Seymour likely headed to Georgia Tech as he has decommitted from ECU with a visit to the Yellow Jackets. Coming up this week, and then you got Tyreek McDaniel, who just committed to ECU, the Independence Community College Safety. He decides to back off and decommit from ECU just a few weeks later, and he's likely headed to Indiana. And, you know, it's the, I get asked what's, you know, what's going on, what's leading to all these decommitments, and, you know, unfortunately the – the, the reality is the the Power Five moniker is like to me one of the the biggest jokes in sports because just because of your conference affiliation per se at Indiana, which has gone two and sixteen, I believe that's the number. Yeah, two and sixteen in the Big Ten the last two years, an absolute punching bag of a program in the Big Ten, no shot at competing, but because they can say, hey, we are a Power Five school. We are in the Big Ten. That has been pushed down these kids' throats by ESPN and all these analysts and networks across the country that when they hear the word Power Five, they think it's, you know, a different division of football. It's all FBS. All these teams have the same amount of scholarships. Sure, some have more monetary money to spend than others, but I doubt Indiana football is throwing around so much NIL money. Uh, Maybe they have more than ECU, I don't know, but a guy like Tyreek McDaniel... And again, I, I wish him the best. Hope he has a great career wherever he ends up. But you can you can have just as much success at East Carolina compared to Indiana. You can play in war the w- warmer weather. You can see prettier women on a daily basis. Uh, you, you can play where football matters more. You're going to a basketball school. You're from South Carolina. Do you really want to spend your winters in Indiana? I mean, we'll see how it works out for him. And, and like these other guys, and again, they have to make the best decision what they think is the best decision for themselves. I'm never going to blame somebody for doing that. But, you know, they just get so caught up in the Power Five, the Power Five, Power Five. I mean, the Power Five is not even a real term. It's a made-up phrase by those in those conferences, by reporters. And there's no Power Five. It's a it's, – you have 10 major conferences in the FBS level. So it's a – it's a made-up moniker, and I, I get it. You know, those schools make more money off their TV revenue. They get more exposure as a result of that. Um, but really, this is a industry-created word or term. It's not an actual official term. So, And I really think with the expansion of the college football playoff, we're going to see less and less of this matter. We're to the point now where if you're East Carolina, you have an easier path to the college football playoff than Indiana. 99 times out of 100. Indiana, are they going to win the Big Ten ever? I don't know. I mean, not as it's currently constructed probably uh, in football. Obviously a great basketball school, but it's just it just it makes you frustrated. And I get it. We're looking at it from an ECU perspective. But, you know, if you want to go out there and play, say you played against Michigan or played against Penn State or played against Ohio State, what's the point if you're just going to lose every game, not win anything? ECU is at the point where they have a shot to realistically compete for a conference championship, realistically 
work their way into the college football playoff. You can say that for the first time ever starting in 2024. It's a realistic proposition. And so I, I just think the, the Power Five narrative is going to slowly lose some of its its luster, so to speak, in the years to come. And maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like the expansion of the playoff will eventually lead to that. And I think you'll see schools like East Carolina benefit from it. And two, the reality is these guys who are flipping now as high school recruits or even JUCO recruits, when they get to these programs, they realize the, the grass is not always greener on the other side pretty quickly. All it takes is a year or two, and then they're back in the portal. We're seeing that now with Tymere Brown from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Again, a guy who realistically at a high school should have came to East Carolina, should have stayed home. Pirates made him a priority, could have came here, probably could have played right away. Instead, went to UNC, sat the bench for two years. Now he's at ECU. He's thankful for the opportunity. We're going to see a lot of this, I think, going forward. And some of these guys, these decisions will probably work out, and they'll go on to be you know, major playmakers in the ACC, in the Big Ten, wherever. Others it won't. That's just the college football we're in right now with the transfer portal, NIL, all that stuff. So it's just a, a crazy world right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't make too big of a deal about it other than I think the word commitment means less than ever. It's basically like everybody's a placeholder right now. And as soon as somebody gets a bigger, more notable offer or more money with the NIL deal, they just jump to that. That's just how I kind of view it, and that's more of what recruiting has become, whereas when I first started, you know, back in 2010, it was truly more of a legitimate recruiting process. ECU would, I would not say routinely beat out ACC schools, but certainly would beat out notable programs or those in the region that, quote-unquote, are in these Power Five conferences, and they would hold on to those commitments. And right now, we're seeing less and less of that. And it's just, I think part of it is the way college football is going. The other part of it is the recruits, the kids, they don't value loyalty and commitment as much as they should until they learn the hard way. Um, And the good news is with the portal, the opposite flip side of it is you can get them back down the line. So you continue to recruit kids as a result. You keep the relationship because there's a chance you might see them again in a couple of years. And... With every high school player that flips to another program, that gives ECU staff, that gives Mike Houston the chance to utilize that scholarship on another player in the transfer portal. And therefore, you can upgrade your program that way. So it's not the end of the world. The roster's still in a a good spot for the Pirates. Still got good numbers overall. There are some holes that need to be plugged. We're seeing that with several official visits over these last few weeks. Again, as always, hoistacolors.net. We have got a ton of recruiting VIP coverage. I mean, this is almost VIP season is what I call it because every day we're talking about official visits, where the coaches are, personnel, transfer portal, all that stuff. So as, as hectic, as crazy as it is, it's a great time to be signed up on hoistacolors.net. If you're not a subscriber yet, we're running a 50% off special on Hoist the Colors. Uh, a great opportunity to come on board. We just got done with our 75% off sale, so not quite as good as what we had on Black Friday, but still 50% off. Tremendous value for the next year um, and a great opportunity to sign up at HTC, get all the scoop. This will carry you through not only signing day, but next season. It'll drop you off right at next year's signing day. And then, of course, we've also got the transfer portal window continuing into January. We've got spring ball after that. We've also got the transfer portal window after spring practice. So recruiting never stops. The portal, 
whether it opens, closes, whatever, it never stops. College football at this point is a year-to-year deal. You're rebuilding your year, your team pretty much each year, at least the bottom and, and top of it for the most part. You know, as long as you can keep some key pieces in place to develop, that's obviously critical too. But it's just crazy right now. So we'll always have news to cover and check it out on hoistthecolors.net. We've also got an interview with head baseball coach Cliff Goblin scheduled for Tuesday for the podcast. So we'll have some baseball talk as we wrap up fall practice. Been meaning to do this for a while. Just got it on the calendar with Coach Goblin. So we'll dive into some baseball later this week as well. So ton going on with recruiting, with football. Again, check that out, VIP, hoistacolors.net. And maybe on the other side, we'll have more of a recruiting update. I know I've got several questions on Twitter, so we'll get to that as well as we continue on the Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right welcome back into the hoist the colors podcast 
We are rolling right along. We got some questions on Twitter. Let's get to those. As always, your guys' questions always help us uh, carry the show, especially when there's just so much going on. Helps me focus a little bit. So we will get to those starting now. All right. Charles asked, not to be negative, but who is most likely to be the next player to decommit? Is the reason for all of our decommits due to NIL money from another school? Uh, As far as the first part of your question, I mean, I'm not going to say, I'm not getting vibes right now. I should say that any ECU player on the commitment list is close to decommitting. I think we may be past that, but you'll never say never this close to signing day. I mean, Nate Branch is an outstanding talent, and if he were in, you know, elite shape academically, he's still got some stuff to take care of in the classroom. He would be an obvious candidate because that guy is an absolute player. Uh, Raheem Jeter, you've got some schools poking around needing a quarterback, but I think he's firm to ECU. Demoris Jenkins, Kieran Davis, two edge guys who I really am high on. I think both of them will stick with ECU, but they've had some other interest down the stretch. But overall, I feel pretty good about what's left with the class, but we will continue to keep you up to date if we hear of any potential flips. Uh, Is the reason for all of our decommits due to NIL money? Well, technically speaking, NIL is not to be utilized as a recruiting tool. But we all know, in reality, it is. And the main point is these programs, they're not directly maybe saying, hey, come here, we'll get you a $50,000 NIL deal. But maybe they're looking at East Carolina and they are saying, hey, look at what this player, who's a star player, made off NIL money last year. Look at, if you come here, We've got this deal set up with this player, this player, this player, and this player. Here's what you can make. So it's more about the potential, or we've got this NIL collective with this much money in it. That could be yours, or part of yours, if you come to ECU, or if you come to School X. So that's kind of the recruiting pitch right now. And certainly there are probably some backroom deals being done with NIL to specifically set up deals to entice players, but that is technically supposed to be illegal course the NCAA sucks and probably isn't enforcing anything so yeah it's going on just like it's going on with tampering in the transfer portal again you're not supposed to be able to reach out to a player who is on a current roster and say hey come here we'll we'll give you this and you can't even really use it technically speaking in the portal as once a guy enters you can't say hey come here we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars as an NIL deal that's supposed to be illegal but it's going on because the NCAA is a joke and that's the fact and matter of it. And until the NCAA enforces this stuff, it'll continue. And you're going to have a lot of broken promises. You're going to have a lot of guys hurt. But that's just what it has become due to the lack of structure from the NCAA in, in regards to NIL, transfer portal, all this stuff. It's just mass chaos. That's the, the long and short of it. All right, Christian Bateman, he has got a basketball question. So we'll get in some hoops. Uh, as ECU won on Monday, or excuse me, on Sunday afternoon over Coppin State to improve to seven and four on the year. Christian wants to know talk about how we are going to hold our own in conference play this year. Schwartz is the man. Um, well, it's going to be tough. I mean, this is a this is a really good basketball league. Although I will say that I think the league overall is not as strong top to bottom as it's been. Teams like Tulsa. And USF are definitely vulnerable, but I feel like even programs like Wichita, Temple, Cincinnati maybe aren't playing up to their usual standard. SMU way down with the first-year coach. So 
I think there's more wins on the table potentially than in past years. But at the same token, we're still talking about a, a very young East Carolina team that struggling to put 40 minutes together against some of the weaker top competition on the schedule. And the reality is, unless they can continue to improve throughout the year, which again, is certainly possible. We've seen guys like Ezra Osar and, and others that are coming into more of their own as they go along. But there are just so many veteran teams in this league. It's going to be tough on a nightly basis to go in there on three, four days rest, sometimes two days rest, and expect this team, you know, to to go toe to toe with some of the teams in the league. I mean, I, I I really like Schwartz. I really like this coaching staff. I like this young group of players. Javon Small has taken a dramatic leap year over year. Probably one of the more dramatic leaps we've seen by an East Carolina basketball player. It almost reminds me of Jonte Sherrod back in the day although that was more from his junior to, to senior year, I believe, and kind of came out of nowhere. Javon doing it from his freshman to sophomore year, extremely impressive. We've seen R.J. Felton have great games when he's hitting threes. ECU is extremely dangerous, but he's a solid player nonetheless. Um, Brandon Johnson, another guy who's made a leap from freshman to sophomore year. And then Ezra Osar, I mean, he, his, he just oozes potential upside. I think Ezra is going to be a star in the making, and ECU's just got to keep this core together. We see it every year. Find a way to keep the core together, develop them. You know, there's some some guys that I still think are question marks on the roster, but, you know, we'll see how they transpire or transition over time. Um, everybody was ready to write off Javon Small early this offseason. Said there was no reason he should come back and look at him now. So I'm not going to say a guy who's not seen a ton of minutes can't play at this level because that's not always the case. But certainly if they can – continue to grow this core have a solid season if they finish around 500 I think there's a lot to build off of they already have one signee Sierra Malongo is going to come in be more of a shot blogger post present scout which they desperately need maybe they can add another player in the portal or two with some momentum and of course you got uh, Jordan Vick committed for the 2024 class so I really like what Schwartz is doing I love his interviews I love his process he's super detailed uh, super committed. You know, he's the type of worker you need with ECU basketball, very similar to Joe Dooley in that he's he's putting in the hours, putting in the work, building the relationships. Um, he's very well articulated, speaking with the media. I think that speaks well to fans. He's very engaging with the fans. Um, and I, I, I just love everything he's doing. So, look, there's I said that even when they were 5-1, and one, there were going to be major downs. We've seen that with South Carolina State. South Carolina State, by the way, 1-11 now. Their only win coming over ECU. Look, that was a miserable loss. There's no way to spin it. But you got a young team. These things are going to happen. And then you're going to have highs, like against Toledo, where you play your best game of the year. You're hitting threes. You're playing well on defense. That's leading the offense. And that was a great win. So I think we'll see that continue through conference play. You just hope they can survive the gauntlet that is the AAC. It's, it, it's, it's tough. There's, you know, there's always that – you get into that stretch in late January, February, where it seems like you're playing like some of these teams, Houston, Cincinnati, um, you know, some of these programs night after night after night, Memphis, where it's just – it's an uphill battle talent-wise, and that's where the season can get away from you. And if they can avoid one of those five, six-game losing streaks or – you know, losing seven of eight, something like that, and just found a way to scrap out some wins, build some momentum, get some confidence, win some home games, maybe still one or two on the road. I think you can still have a very solid season. But um, 
those are just some general basketball thoughts. I do think if they can continue to improve defensively, the way Schwartz wants it to, we've seen spurts of it. That's how you hold your own conference play because you're not going to hit shots every night. But we just haven't seen a 40-minute. We haven't even seen anything close, really, to a 40-minute defensive game yet from this basketball team. And so that's something they're continuing to work towards and really have to get to in order to hold their own in conference play. All right, David on Twitter says, how are we looking on picking up a quality edge player? I know they are a few. I know they are few and far between, but we got to do something about our pass rush. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. The pass rush has not been good enough for East Carolina for, for several years now. And part of the problem is, you know, we've, we've talked about a Brett, Brett Hickman and that part of it's scheme related. You know, they do scheme to take away the run, but you have to, uh, you've got to find a way to generate more pass rush, especially against quality quarterbacks. And we just haven't seen enough of that. You know, the, We've seen ECU go after some guys in the portal. Darian Varner of Temple uh, has an offer from ECU. I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if he's looking to stay in the American. He could get closer to home by coming to East Carolina. You know, we know that it's it's an emphasis for the staff, and they're looking at potential options, but they're just it's tough to find a, a guy who's 6'4", 6'5", can bend, can run, can rush the passer. Um and you almost have to find a way to develop those guys, and they'll continue to search the portal for them. But I do think there are a couple candidates on the roster. I think Sam Danka is a guy who, if he continues to blossom and mature, could be a guy as soon as next year that could be a force off the edge. He is six five. He is two twenty. He can run. He can move. He's you know he's just a dynamic athlete. So got to continue to grow him up. Uh, you've got some other pieces coming back that I think. It, you know, Josiah Robinson was a tough loss due to the the, the torn uh, knee ligament because he was going to be a guy at defensive end that could really rush the passer. And so those two guys for me are the ones I circle and say, hey, these are dynamic athletes, dynamic first uh, or dynamic burst, first step off the line that I think could become something. You still would like to add a true pass rusher from the portal, but again, these guys are tough to come by, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I, I, you know, it may be a situation where you, you, you find a guy like they're recruiting Stephen Catledge from uh, a junior college in Mississippi, and he projects more as an inside linebacker, but with a couple years left at 6'4", 215, he could fill out, maybe play on the edge in certain packages. So they have, interestingly enough, targeted some longer inside linebacker types that I think could help on the edge and maybe go to more of a – true nickel package personnel situation and passing downs to get that pass rush. And you also got guys that can develop on the roster like J.D. Lampley, uh, C.J. Mim, some younger defensive linemen on the interior front that can become better pass rushers as they get more uh, experience at the college level. So I do think there are some pieces on the roster. Uh, I don't have any specific names right now as far as, you know, is anybody imminently ready to commit? I don't get that vibe, but maybe we'll hear something as we go into the weekend. Uh, David wants to know, how about the future of the coaching staff? Is Coach Houston expecting to make some coaching changes? Right now, no indication of changes, but here's what I'll say. You look at Coach Houston's history, he typically makes a change or two each year. You know, He's not a guy to throw a coach under the bus, but typically he'll evaluate his staff, his roster. He'll make the changes that he feels are needed to be made. Last year, 
Uh, Drew Dudzik, the receivers coach, was let go. That led to the introduction of Raekwon Boyette. Uh, we saw in previous years Byron Thweet at linebacker was let go. Uh, that led to eventually, uh, of course, bringing in Tim Doust as the edge outside linebackers coach. So we'll see. Signing day coming up, bowl game coming up. I don't think Coach Houston is going to fire anybody or let anybody go right now. And I just don't get that vibe at all. Uh, of course, he let let Bob Trot go after his first year. So he's made a change every year. And I would venture to say he's probably going to make a change somewhere this year. Where that is, I honestly don't know. Uh, he's not going to tell me. He's not going to probably tell anybody until after it happens because that's not something really you want to leak out um, with recruiting going on, with bowl prep going on. So we'll see. And the one thing I will say, if the, if a change is made you know, this is a tough business. Obviously, these coaches get paid a lot of money. But the one thing that I have heard about Coach Houston, especially when he's got a good working relationship with his coaches, which in most most of them do. I mean, I don't think the Bob Trot uh, divorce was the most amicable in the world. I think there were some disagreements there. But, you know, with a guy like Dudzik or whoever, it's tough to fire or or let somebody go that's, that you've developed a bond with, but he usually, from everything I've, I've gathered, is, is great about helping that coach find another job or, or land somewhere softly. I mean, it's not like a ruthless type of uh, decision maker that he is, is the vibe I've gotten just from talking with people in the industry. So um, we'll see what happens on that front, David. I just don't, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not one to speculate about that stuff. And part of that is my job. But as we get out of the bowl game, past recruiting, I think we maybe turn our attention to that a little more. Right now, I just don't think that's on the radar, um, and I think it will be something that's handled down the line. Um, Pirate Treasure NC says, run through the AAC bowl games. Do new mem- member bowl games if you want to. All right, Pirate Treasure, let's do it. Now I have to pause this podcast and pull up the bowl games is the Fenway Bowl, which I'm intrigued by because Cincinnati and Louisville will be playing on Saturday, December 17th in a game where they're basically sharing the coach. Of course, Scott Satterfield not coaching in the game, but he is leaving Louisville for Cincinnati. He's removed himself from the game. So interested to see what that game looks like. First first game at Fenway as far as a football game, first Fenway Bowl. What is the setting like? Um, Luke Fickle leaving Cincinnati. Louisville with uh, the hiring of Jeff Brom, but of course both staffs kind of in flux there. So more interested in the setting slash atmosphere than anything. New Mexico Bowl later that day, SMU takes on BYU. Pirates, of course, beating BYU earlier this season in Provo. Did not play SMU, but it's an American team. That's a game that I'm at least at least interested to see how the Mustangs look going forward as they head into the second year of the Rhett Lashley era. Will they do that with momentum or not? We will find out. You've got two more games that day for future American Conference teams. Rice taking on Southern Miss. Of course, Rice heading into the American North Texas, taking on Boise State in the Frisco Bowl. North Texas, of course, without a coach after firing Seth Luttrell in somewhat controversial fashion. And then going forward, Houston takes on Louisiana on Friday, December 23rd in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. Not 
That game doesn't move my needle uh, a whole lot. Can't really say I'm too fired up for that one, but I guess I'll watch it on December 23rd. Not a ton more going on. On the same day, the Pirates take on Coastal in the Birmingham Bowl. You've got Memphis taking on Utah State in the First Responder Bowl in Dallas. Utah State. Utah State, sneaky, quality program, so we'll see how they show up. UCF taking on Duke in the Military Bowl. I personally will be cheering for Duke in this one. Don't care for the Knights very much. Um, We'll be interested to see what the crowd looks like for that particular game in D.C. after, of course, last year's game was canceled. All right, running through here, Tulane and USC, of course. I mean, that's a huge game for several reasons. And just can Tulane rise to the occasion and and take down USC? I mean, I would expect the Trojans to be at full full force for that one, making for a very difficult game. Um, Do the Wave have enough firepower? I just, I don't know. I mean, that's going to be a tall task for Tulane, as good of a season as they've had, and as good of a pass rush and pass defense as they've had. Lincoln Riley, we know, loves to air the football out. What is that matchup going to be like? And how are they going to try and take away Caleb Williams? I don't know. I mean, that's a very fascinating game. USC only a a one-and-a-half-point favorite at last check. So Vegas expecting a tight game. We'll see how it transpires. But those are the games that, of course, are going on throughout the American leading into the, the bowl season. All right. The reason I paused there, I was reading my next question from Laura Wilson, and she says, wrapping up a semester, what are favorite class learnings, class struggles? So I'm confused here because I don't really know what this, what this means. Um, like what were my favorite class learnings as a student? What are ECU players favorite class learnings? I don't, I don't really know what this means. Um, I I will just say that I, I I I can first of all I can hardly remember my time at East Carolina. It was 2010 and 2014. I started Hoist the Colors in 2010 when I was a freshman at ECU, and by the end of it, um, by the end of it, it was a situation where I switched my major from exercise physiology to communication, with a concentration in journalism and. I made the right call because look at look at Hoist the Colors now. It's been a blessing, and I, I, I can't thank my journalism instructors enough, um, Brian Massey, Cindy Elmore, and so many others that taught me all the stuff about reporting that I still utilize today. So I learned a ton in that, um, in that field, in the School of Communication at ECU. Definitely would not be where I am today without them. Didn't really have too many struggles other than chemistry when I was trying to learn how to be an exercise phys major. I was like, this is too hard. And once the opportunity arose to join the School of Communication and switch my major, it was an easy, easy choice. And I'm glad I did it, even if I could be making more money working in the medical field. I don't know. My original plan was to be a PA, physician's assistant, and that quickly changed once I took chemistry two uh so yeah i don't know if that answers your question laura but i tried uh mick says how is bailey malovic doing anyway he gets a hardship waiver or something bailey malovic is gone he is no longer with the program will not be back i think he's done with football so tough luck there had the 
the injury, then the loss uh, of his brother, and decided to move on. So he is, he's done. He will not be back at ECU. Uh, Allen says the increasing amount of decommitments and what can be done about it. Should universities fight fire with fire and start over recruiting more? You find a better player, pull the scholarly like the kid pulls his commitment and commits to another university. I mean, great question, Al, because I'm to the point now, I think you do have to almost start over recruiting a little bit. You don't want to just take 40 guys and, and load up early, but I think if you're going to have what you think is a smaller class, why not take a few more? Why not take a few more and and just say, hey, we're probably going to lose a few of these guys, and it's tough to always project who or what positions, but you know, I think you have to stop being careful with the recruiting going the way it is. I mean, you want to value relationships, but all these high school coaches are telling you, hey, we're going to help our guys stay committed to your school. Next thing you know, that kid's flipping, and then you got the same high school coach asking, why are you guys taking so many transfers and not recruiting more high school players? Well, well, high school coach, you're not doing a very good job of valuing the word commitment to your high school player. So therefore, don't expect the the college coach to value the word commitment if the high schoolers aren't. So it's a it's a it's a it's a fine line. I mean, you want to be you don't want to be ruthless, but you also got to be realistic. And I think over recruiting, it's something the big programs do. Is East Carolina, are they at the point where they can do that? I don't know. Um, but it's a discussion that's certainly up for debate. I think it's definitely got to be something that, for you see, you got to look at and, and, and evaluate to a degree how much are we going to recruit high school versus the portal with the way things are changing with NIL. What do these players value most? You come up with a new recruiting pitch saying, hey, here's what we're going to do NIL-related for you if you come to ECU or here's what we've done uh, within the rules. It, it's just it's just so wild right now. It's tough to tough to pinpoint the plan that works best, but it's certainly something that has to be discussed, Al. And that's something I'll you know I'll ask Coach Houston about after the season. Once we get into the offseason, how do you reassess recruiting philosophies given the landscape of college football? That's certainly an interesting question. All right, Austin says uh, he wants me to discuss John Gilbert and Brett Favre. Of course, for anybody who's missed it, the East Carolina AD was mentioned in the latest filing reports with the the Brett Favre and um, uh, Southern Miss Athletics Foundation lawsuit. John Gilbert, to clarify, is not part of the suit in terms of he's not getting sued, but he's, his name is mentioned because he was the AD at the time. Now, I don't I don't want to get too far into this because I don't know the specifics of the case, but so much. I posted a link on Hoist the Colors. There's a rampant discussion there. ECU, from my understanding, is aware of John Gilbert being the AD at that time and aware that he was at least involved in this stuff. But him being involved in it and tied to it doesn't mean he's guilty um, and if you look at some of the the, fi- the filings, I don't think it's a situation where Gilbert or anybody at Southern Miss necessarily knew that they were signing off on this supposed dirty money or whatever. And um, the the company is going back after Southern Miss. They're not going back after John Gilbert. So although John Gilbert's mentioned, everybody I talked to at ECU at this point says that there's 
you know, there's there's nothing to hide for John Gilbert, and he's confident. I think in where he stands, I don't think there's anything like his job's not in jeopardy or anything like that. So I, I don't get that vibe at all. Um, of course, anytime somebody is mentioned in some fraud case like that, there's reason for concern or skepticism, so to speak. If you're an ECU fan, but just checking with sources, I don't think there's anything of the immediate concern. ECU's been aware of it. John Gilbert's been in communication with ECU about it. Um, he's done, you know, everything that's asked of him. All of it is public record at Southern Miss. And so, look, if John Gilbert did anything illegal, it would eventually come out. It hasn't come out yet. I don't think it would come out later if it hasn't already. So, um, he was the AD at the time. So, there's legitimate questions about everything that went on. But I would say, based off everything I've gathered, you know, he did not play a, a part in the actual fraud. He just did his job, passed it up to the higher higher ups. This was something that the um, attorney general signed off on, the president of the school signed off on, I believe the governor signed off on. So, listen, if you want to go read about that, dive into it, feel free. Brett Favre fraud case. Um, there's even an article about John Gilbert where he is, I think, a little skeptical about making sure that the money is coming from a good place and all that sort of stuff. There's, there's a ton out there about it. Again, I don't want to, I, I don't have enough information about the case to dive into it on this podcast with me just talking. I don't want to slip up and say something I shouldn't. So uh, check that out if you want to. There's plenty of stuff about it online, but no reason to think John Gilbert's job is in jeopardy or anything like that. Again, he's not part of the suit. He was just mentioned in the suit as being the AD at the time. All right, that, I believe, does it for your questions. Before we get out of here, let's give you one final recruiting rundown. Again, the big uh, final big official visit weekend is upcoming for ECU. That will take place Friday through the weekend. It will go dead, and then signing day will be next Wednesday. And we've got some... um, We've got, we've got visitors coming to ECU this weekend. We'll have a report up later. Again, ECU right now with 12 commitments plus a transfer in Tymir Brown. So 13 total pledges for the 2023 class. I would expect more to follow in the days ahead. Of course, ECU just had six visits to campus this past weekend. Brown, one of those he committed. The big story is Antoine Jackson, the four-star Miami commit. And we, we had a VIP report on what to expect. Is he going to flip? We're talking about a guy from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Dillard High School. On the surface, why would somebody like that flip to ECU as a four-star local recruit? Well, his girlfriend is signed to ECU to play basketball, Karina Gordon. And that's one of the main reasons ECU got a foot in the door. Also, he reclassified from 2024 as the top safety in the country to 2023. He wants to play early. He could potentially do that at East Carolina. But his, one of his good friends, one of his teammates, just committed to Miami, a four-star running back, ironically named Chris Johnson. Um, so we'll see. You know, I still get the vibe that there's a potential that Jackson could flip. I don't think that I would lock it in that he's going to commit to ECU, but if he somehow did, he'd be the highest-rated recruit in program history. It would be a massive haul for the Pirates in that regard, so something to keep an eye on. Um, Kamari McKinley, fellow DB from Florida, he was in for a visit. I've crystal balled him to East Carolina. Had an interview up with Max Longman, uh, the transfer offensive tackle from UMass earlier today. 
he is down to a couple schools. He's an early enrollee, or mid-year enrollee, I should say, starting tackle at UMass. A lot of experience, a lot of talent. So he visited ECU, visiting Toledo starting today, and also going to check out maybe Indiana, Memphis, or Tulane this weekend. So strong competition there. Jacob Bayer, a center from Texas. Uh, Lamar University also visited. And then Devon Martin, a cornerback from Florida who's committed to Utah State. So there's some of the names. There are several others that, if you're a member of Hoist the Colors, uh, that we have been following and will continue to follow on HTC. Again, a couple linebacker transfers in today as well. We had a report on that as linebacker remains a need for the Pirates in the 2023 class with Chance Bates, Xavier Smith, and Miles Berry all moving on after this season. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. Again, wanted to get up with you guys, get up here, talk some ball. We're moving closer to the Birmingham Bowl. We will have a pre-signing day special next week on the HTC podcast and kind of give you the final details of what to expect heading into Wednesday. Again, we'll have a baseball podcast specifically with Cliff Goblin uh, sometime in the next couple of days as well as we have a sit-down interview with CG. All right, that'll do it. We will talk to you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the questions as always. They help carry the show. We will be with you on the next edition of the Hoisty Colors podcast in the coming days. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.